Okay, so in Zechariah chapter 4, in chapter 14, it is described that the Mount of Olives itself will split apart. I presume this is what you're referring to, and describing the coming of the Mashiach and the great glory of Hashem. Zechariah 14, of course, is the last chapter of this extraordinary book that foretells the static, ecstatic events that will unfold, please God, quickly. But what could be difficult, and this happens, and I fair warning, is that you have to really be involved, very, to all of you, learning Tanakh. It's a very big problem for Christians. The, the, you know, when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, so I really thought Goyim were nuts. I thought Gentiles were crazy because they were crazy in Brooklyn in the 60s. They were nuts. I thought every, I thought basically like every non-Jew was basically like the Taliban or something. They were just insane. They just, just as soon as I walked out the door and crossed the street to the wrong side of the street, right away they're running. Like, what did, what did I do to you? Did I start up with you? All I do is, all we do is keep you out of jail and do your taxes and you're running after me and trying to kill me. It's like, I, I was like blown away. But it, in a way, it, it, this neat world where all the guys are crazy and it made the Holocaust, okay, you know, they're all nuts. Because I couldn't, yeah, why did they want to, like, but they're crazy. And that's it. And then I met people who are. I, I met people who are who who are who are not Jewish, who are just the most beautiful people, and it just changed my life 180 degrees. And I I talk about this a lot because it was such a an epic event. The the danger is. Hey, handsome. What's his name? Levy? A beautiful name. That's my tribe, Levy. Okay. It's a real blessing of a child. Okay. All right. Okay, now. So what were we talking about again? Okay. And listen very carefully. The danger for many people is that when they leave the church, they, of course they have jettisoned all the creeds that were invented in, in Rome or Alexandria, and I don't mean Virginia. <laughs> and they believe, but... I often compare it to, I don't smoke, but sometimes in Indonesia, it's a country about 70, nearly 75% of the population smokes. A pack of cigarettes cost a dollar, and, they, and just the whole country. And so I, I sometimes meet with someone, and you're there, just, and I walk out, and I just my clothes are reek, right? And that happens to many people who have left the church, that they, although they, have, they never smoke, they don't smoke, but they still, the mindset is still there. Now here's one of the, this is the danger. The danger is that Christians, for the most part, people I've met, are just really great people, amazing people, all have crazies. A lot of them are very, very fine people, really. But what happens in the church which is a disaster, is 
They would memorize one word in Jeremiah. They learned what two passages in Isaiah. And they never read the book of Jeremiah once in their life from beginning to end. And they couldn't quote one passage from the book of Habakkuk. And if you asked them, what does it say in Habakkuk chapter 2? They wouldn't know. So <laughs> that was a joke and that's a problem. Okay, so, all right. So, okay, so this is a very dangerous point, and I want, this is the answer to your question. So I'm going to say something that's counterintuitive, um, but if you're not into the word of Hashem, if you're not studying scripture constantly and reading chapter after chapter carefully, and having the sages of Israel, the Mephorshim, the Tafsir, walking you through it, you'll be lost. But if you're not reading through the chapters, you won't understand. You'll come to pass, you go, what are they talking about? And you just get like hit in the head like you just walk into a wall. What is Isaiah talking about? I have no clue. There's a reason why. is because people have the select. I'm just going to read these two passages, and I'm coming to Jeremiah, and I don't know what he's talking about. You need guidance. In fact, that's why I'm doing, that's why William and I are doing this show on Isaiah. Because it's possibly the hardest book in Tanakh, and I want to help people understand how to read text. Here's the key point. This is going to surprise you. But in Scripture, things that represent God are called God. And this can be very confusing. In Scripture, we are told that Jerusalem itself is called God. The Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah 23. says it explicitly. Excuse me, Jeremiah 33. And Jeremiah says, also oh, the Messiah is going to be called the Lord our righteousness. In, the, in Scripture, God said to Moses, who was a reluctant leader, who said, I have a speech impediment. At the end of chapter 6, chapter 7 of Exodus, God says that you will be a God to Pharaoh and Aaron will be your prophet. It's a very strange language. We see in the Bible, and immediately after the Ten Commandments, we are told about having courts and judges, that the judges are called God, literally called God. Angels are called God all over Scripture. In, in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 8, and so on, chapter 82, we see this all over the Bible. So therefore, does this mean when Scripture says that Jerusalem is God, that we should bow down to the stones in Jerusalem? No. It doesn't mean that. It means that in some way, in fact, when Isaiah was speaking to Ahaz in the famous Isaiah chapter 7, and in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah is speaking to a person who perhaps was the most wicked king that ever lived, Ahaz. You might say it was Menashe, but Menashe repented, Ahaz didn't. Ahaz was possibly the worst thing, the worst Davidic king that ever lived. And if you look at Isaiah 7.10, four passages before the famous 7.14, it says that Isaiah is talking to Ahaz. Isaiah is speaking, the prophet is speaking to the, this wicked king, and says that the Lord, Yud Kevav K, literally the name of God, said to Ahaz. But it was really Isaiah speaking. Isaiah is called God. In, so therefore, if you're familiar with this, so therefore, then Zechariah 4 is, doesn't present a problem because anything that represent, represents God, just like an altar that Jacob erected, he called God in Scripture, 
their old call god, not that we should worship that altar, that you altar created the universe, but it means that these people bring or reflect back the nature of God to the world. Do you understand? So that's why you have that language. Now, if someone, we live in a time where no one talks this way. Be very careful when studying scripture. That means in our time, convention is, there's God, creator of the heavens and earth, and then there's everything else. And that chasm cannot be bridged. And no person, no prophet, no city, no nothing, nothing else is called God but God. And then what we do is we impose 21st century linguistic convention onto Tanakh, the word of Hashem, which is using a completely different convention. And then naturally, we're going to, when, 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 um, when Jacob was fighting with an angel, and he says he saw God, he, he fought with God, right? So, well, I fought with God. Well, you know, what do you mean? Yeah, it must be God. And everyone, that's weird. But people don't read the book of Hosea, chapter 12, where it says explicitly he was fighting with an angel of God. So I say this to you, it's very important to go through Scripture chapter by chapter. And this is what, why so many Christians you know, every one of you in this room knows Christians, who are in every other aspect of their lives are wise, sharp, good, moral, decent people. Not that there are not a few lunatics, but they're basically really good people. And when it comes to, it's like, like you're talking to them, what's going on? They're really good people, but this is how they learn. They learn this, this kind of punctuated study. Yeah, the really studious ones will go through the Jeremiah once in their lives and go, I did it. But they're not really studying it. It's the Old Testament, after all. They can, you know, pop out the Sermon on the Mount in a second. They can tell you about the <laughs> zombie apocalypse in Matthew in a second. But the, but the Jewish Bible, so, this is, so therefore you have to understand that in Tanakh, those things that reflect God, His presence, for example, those of us who have been to the Holy Land. Uh, and, and I'll plug it, so I plug it, I give a plug. So I have, there are two tours that I will be guiding in the Holy Land. One is coming up in July, um, where we literally, if you're planning on snorkeling, this is not for you. If you want to go on to the beach in Eilat and fry like a French fry in McDonald's, this is not for you. But if you want to see where the prophets preached, please join us. There's actually brochures on the back and in that room there. There'll be a second tour that'll be coming up in November. These are tours where we're going through the Bible. We're not going to be spending a lot of time in Tel Aviv, I promise. <laughs> um... So, but how many of you have came to the Holy Land, you know, and then you stand there in, in, in this holy place, and you suddenly, we always love to go Friday night, Friday night's very special at the, at the Western Wall, and you see people coming there, and they're just crying their brains out. They're like, okay, come in, they're amazed, and then they come to the wall, and they touch it, and then they just start crying. Now, the wall is made out of limestone, that's not the wall. But it says, it says in the Medrash Rabbah, nearly 2,000 years ago, that the divine presence of God never left the Western Wall. Why is it not germane to this point? 
doesn't mean limestone makes people cry, but in some way, which is, is I cannot understand, but we see today it would never be destroyed. The Western world cannot be destroyed. It's based on a passage in Song of Songs, chapter 2, that that world cannot be destroyed. And it never was. And the Shechina rests there, remained, they never left there. And people are gone, they know what I'm talking about. You're standing there and you're going, it doesn't mean the wall is holy, God forbid. If you worship that wall, you're an idol worshiper. But does that wall in some way, you somehow encounter God's presence? Yes. And that's what it means. But this is the linguistic convention of Scripture. I took an extra four hours to answer your question. I'm joking. I took an extra moment because I want you to understand this as close as I can. And that is, you have to be very careful with the language of Tanakh. Uh, 